Abandoned to Mother, the incredible, emotional, and life-changing transformation we take when we go on our journey into motherhood. From all things conception to postpartum and parenthood, I will be talking with parents and hearing their stories of navigating these times while sharing helpful information along the way. Together, we'll be covering all stories, no matter how you have chosen to conceive, birth, or parent. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the Maiden to Mother journey. I'm Kendall, your podcast host, and today we're talking with a dear friend of mine, Amy Cooper, aka Coops. Coopy, how are you, doll? I'm pretty good, babe. I'm pretty good surviving, but I'm thriving, I guess. <laughs> Says the twin mum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for jumping on today. I know you've got your hands full as a twin mum. Can you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you live, who's in your family? Yeah, sure. So my name's Amy, as Kendall's just mentioned. Um, I live on the Sunshine Coast with my partner, Alex, our twins, Hudson and Oakley, and our two fur babies, Django and Remy. Um, Currently about to go back to work in a couple of weeks um, in construction. And yeah, that's about it. There's not much to tell. Been stay at home mum since. <laughs> yes, got hands full with two boys, and you're currently sitting in the car trying to get some quiet. <laughs> yeah, and so I didn't wake them up with like me talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to we'll jump straight in. So, can you tell us? Because I mean, it's a little bit hard for me because I'm like s- such a close friend, so I know how the story unfolds but yeah I think the interesting part of it I guess is to start off with um you and Alex's relationship and how you fell pregnant with the boys yeah so nothing was planned let's just get that out of the table (laughs) it was a surprise um Alex I think we'll just um come in Alex and I just moved in together well he'd moved in with me and my girlfriend Sophie and it wasn't too long after Alana and Grant's granny's wedding that um, I found out. So it was post, I'd had COVID not too long. And after that, Alex and I decided to get a little bit jiggy with it. So I know the exact <laughs> time that it happened, but at the time I didn't know. And I think like a few, like, oh, several weeks later, I was starting to feel like a bit tired and whatnot. I just thought it was part of COVID, but the tiredness started happening earlier in the day. And um. In hindsight, I was also nauseous a lot, but I just didn't, it just didn't even register with me. And I think what made me go do a pregnancy test was um, my, I was getting acupuncture for some like pain in my shoulders and the chick was like, oh, so are you pregnant? I was like, no, like, I guess I'm a couple of days late for my period and I've been a bit tired lately, but nah. <laughs> and then she just gave me this look and I was just like, I might go check. And it was literally like two days after Alex's actual birthday. So the 6th of May, twenty. 21 no 22 and I took that test and it lit up it that pregnancy line lit up so bright and so quickly the control line couldn't keep up like it, bitch you're pregnant yeah and I just like looked and I was like Alex and I'd only been together about five months by the way and I was like no I felt like a 16 year old girl that had all her hopes and dreams taken away in that moment because mm. I just was not expecting that so and because you guys were quite like fresh too. Oh, fresh, yeah. Five months, like just dating. He's just moved in just to give it a go. And then um, yeah, 
Well, we had a plan to we had a planned trip to New Zealand too. That was going to be like our first trip, and I was so looking forward to that. And also, like his birthday was that two days after that, like his birthday celebration. So I was looking forward to like getting lit and just having a sick time. But no. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do when you found out? What was the first thing you did? Cried. Called mum. Didn't get much sympathy. She just told me, well, when you mess with Mother Nature, this is what happens. <laughs> Went over to Dad's house because I was, like, hysterical. He congratulated me. <laughs> I just wasn't getting the feedback I needed, like the, oh, you poor thing. Yeah. I called you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Asking, what do I do? And you're like, I'm going, who do I start calling? What doctor do I go to? And you're literally like, babe, I think you should tell Alex first. And I was like, yeah, true. <laughs> so I went to work and told him um that evening um pulled him into the room and he, he knew something was up and I like pulled out three tests because I just wanted to double check and all of them had this bright line and like me like moderately up control line I was like okay <laughs> uh, so and he's like first word like I didn't know I had it in me <laughs> really yeah, that was his first word. He just like looked at me, looked out like I was shaking, and then he's just like, "Look, to be honest with you, I didn't even have it in. I didn't know I had it in me." And I was like, "Yeah, well, you, you did." <laughs> yep. So, how far into the pregnancy did you find out you were having twins? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, I, I looked. Up, so, I went to an like an antenatal GP type person, and she got me set up for a dating scan. Um, I think it was like two or three weeks after the pregnancy test and um, we went into the dating scan so a little bit of background story twins are on both our sides of the family so I'd been told since I was a little girl oh look you're in the generation for twins you're probably going to have twins so it's it was drilled into me quite young but I never believed it and leading up to it I'd listened to a podcast with um, Beck Judd in it just like some pregnancy podcast and she was talking about how her test um, the pregnancy line was super bright and she had twins. Yeah. And I was like to Alex, oh, how's this podcast? <laughs> Apparently the pregnancy. And I was like, mine was quite bright. And I was like, ooh. And then literally a couple of days before the dating scan, I went to my parents with some eggs to cook breakfast and I brought the eggs and they cracked open the first egg and there was a double yolk Ah. <laughs> All the signs. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh, twins. I was like, no, that's, that's, that's a male. That's balls. That's, I'm going to have a boy. <laughs> yeah. So I got to the dating scan. I like to be honest with you, I didn't even know if I was, I didn't even like in my head really believe it was a viable pregnancy. I just had in my head that it wasn't even going to be viable. And the guy looks at us and he's like, the sonographer goes, do you have twins in the family? And I was like, we were both like, yeah, why? And he goes, oh, there's two babies in there. I'm just looking for a third just to check. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Oh, How were you guys that's... feeling? What was your reaction? Alex was very quiet. I was laughing and getting in trouble off the sonographer because I didn't know what else to do. And he's like, can you stop moving? And I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm meant to do in this moment. I was like, <laughs> Could he not give like, you a minute to process that there was two t- No, nah, he was still just trying to look around. And <laughs> he's like, no, there's definitely just two. And I was just like, he's like, can you see the sack here? And then there's a little heartbeat in this side, a little heartbeat in this side. And we're, I'm just like, oh, my God. Immediately just everything starts going through your head and you're just like, I can't believe everyone's right. <laughs> I know, crazy. And how did how did you guys like feel after it? Like, how are you processing that information? 
Yeah, like just pure shock, but it's just like, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do. And I think like deep down, it's just like, you don't ever think about it until things start happening, but I just kind of had a knowing. I was just, I just knew, like I knew that podcast had indicated something to me. I knew the egg yolks had indicated something <laughs> to me. I've been told my whole life I was in the generation for twins. So I just think I, I had like this deep knowing that it happened to me. <laughs> like almost like you were, had already prepared for yeah, like deep, deep down somewhere that I didn't even realize. Yeah, yeah. like in your yeah. subconscious, you'd prepared yeah. for it. Oh, so then you you found out you're pregnant with twins. Can you tell us about what you were doing for like birth preparation and the model of care that you chose? Yeah, so um, I guess like first of all, before I'd even found out I was having twins or anything, the lady I was seeing for my acupuncture, she was super holistic. And she knew when I went back to her the next time, she was like, I just knew you were pregnant. And I was just like, far out. And she like had already recommended me on this like um, supplement called Forage. It's called um, Mother's Blend. And it's like an organic powder with fermented foods. And it had like beef liver, babe. You know how I feel about beef and stuff. So (laughs) I was already taking all that stuff. um, And I also got put on the folic acid, but times the double amount and whatnot. And then um, apart from that, I had already asked the GP about um, going on to the, is it those M, the midwife? MGP. Yeah, the MGP. She declined me the first time before I even found out I was having twins because she's like, oh, look, we need to make sure it's even a viable birth, like a viable pregnancy. I was like, okay. And then I went into her the second time and found out I was twins and she's like, oh, no, I don't feel comfortable sending them Mm -hmm. through a referral. So the doctor wouldn't send through a referral to go onto that program for me so I went out and um we didn't go out but I had um a private midwife group recommended to me by my boss um because he and him and his wife had been through them for all three pregnancies and they raved about them and they're beautiful so I went and had like a little meeting with them and I ended up going through coast life midwifery on the sunshine coast um and I had Alison and she was she was wonderful so she was going to be my midwife, although she couldn't be there for the birth, but she was going to be all my um, antenatal and do the, my postnatal, which was more important to me than anything because I figured, you know, I don't know if I was going to be able to have a natural birth anyway, being twins. I wanted to give it a go, but yeah, so I had her support. Yeah. And then so so her support, but then you were going to... um planning to give birth through the Sunshine Coast Hospital. Oh, yes. Sorry, yes. So I had the referral put through the Sunshine Coast Hospital um, to birth there. Um, They actually called me, their midwife, and said that um, they could actually refer me to the MGP. So even though I was having twins, she goes, look, she goes, we can still refer you. She goes, it's not unheard of for twin pregnancy to um, be able to go through the program still. Um, So she put through a referral for me then. Um, and then I was just in like the, I was like, well, I've already got a private midwife now, but yeah, do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. Were you ever accepted into that program? No. So, um, and that was because of all the stuff that happened next really. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll, we'll move on to. So you had a, a pretty difficult pregnancy, um, yeah. and some stuff happening. Can you, can you talk us through it? Yeah. So apart from the fact of it being twin pregnancy or super tired, nauseous, like had just had no energy for anything. We got to our 12-week scan, so the um, nuchal translucency scan, the NT scan, and um, we were super excited for that, like, 12-week scan because it, like, just confirmed the boys were looking great from what we could see, 
and they were like growing and they were the right size and everything. But um, after the scan, unfortunately, the doctor sat us down and said that um, H- um, Hudson, who was twin A, and he kind of sat lower, um, he had a large nuchal translucency result. So that's the fluid-filled space behind the baby's neck. Um, and what they use that to measure is that it can sometimes estimate a risk of a baby having a chromosomal abnormality such as Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome or Patel syndrome um, and amongst other things. So I actually had the NIP test too, which tests for those three specific um, um, chromosomal abnormalities and it was low risk. But that doctor, she was quite, um, she was known as being quite a specialist in what she does, she was like, I don't want you by any means to think that that, you know, put you in the clear. She goes, the only way you're going to truly find out is if you get invasive um, testing done. Mm. So that was pretty hard pill to swallow. Um, I kind of like had this feeling deep down in my like core that everything is going to be okay. But when you have like doctors and things telling you like that sort of thing, you're just like, okay, I've got to listen. I can't yeah. shut you off for me anyway because I've got another person who's going to be involved in this. And she was like, even if um, you rule out chromosomal abnormalities, there could be another underlying issue. Like she goes, look, she goes, I have seen babies come out totally normal. It can happen. She goes, but there's also um, risks involved. So luckily the next day we had a, um appointment at the hospital. I'd um, purposely done it that way so I could get my scan done and then go to see the obstetrician at the hospital. So we went in and saw her um, and she immediately went upstairs to the, um, I think it's the maternal fetal medicine ward and spoke to the doctors up there. Um, and they basically booked us in with one of the doctors up there to look into it further and find out what our options were. Um so options from there for invasive testing was the amniocentesis, I think it's called, mm-hmm. um, which is a test where they take a bit of um, fluid from the sac through a big long needle that they stick through your stomach. Uh, so that usually is after 15 weeks that they can perform that one. Or there's the chorionic villus or vilus sampling, which is a CVS, which can be done after 10 weeks, and that takes a piece from the placenta um, the difference between the two is the um, amniocentesis one is a risk of um, miscarrying one in 200, I think. And the CVS, the one that takes from the placenta, is it, it says one in 100. Yeah. Um, and then there was the other option of just leaving it and just letting the scans and stuff tell us how we're going along the way, but that, didn't, um, that couldn't rule out, you know, there being a chromosomal abnormality there. Mm. So um, we ummed and ahed and like when you're going through something like that, you get this wave of guilt because you're like, I want to find out because I've got two babies here, could be two babies affected because with twins, even though we had twins in um, separate sacs with their own placentas, which would lead you to believe they'd be fraternal, not identical, Yeah, um, there is a slim chance that your egg can split and form the two sacs and the placentas as well. It's a lot. It doesn't happen as often, but it's still like something that could happen. So if there's one baby that had, you know, chromosomal abnormality or something going on, it could also be affecting the other baby. And I just felt like that was a big decision for two people that had only known each other five months to be like, 
making. So we just, we, we wanted answers, to be honest, but the guilt that come with wanting answers and actually having this feeling of nothing's wrong, why would you put your baby at risk, was a bit hard to swallow. Really um, tricky situation yeah. to navigate through. Oh, you, it's just, I guess at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong. It's just either way, you're up shit's creek, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we the week a week later we went in and saw that big doctor and we chose to go off the CVS because she actually said new research has come out and I can't remember how they worded it but it's actually not that high risk for the CVS is what they what it leads you to believe because they I think because of with the research they based it off how many miscarriages do happen rather than how many don't happen I don't know but she tried mm-hmm. to explain it to me and it was a while ago I can't quite remember so while we're in there. Um, her next question was, do you want to test both the babies? And I was like, we'd already discussed it before going in, and I was like, the only way we'll test both the babies, we don't want to know the sex or anything, but she, but we go, if they are same sex, we're probably going to allow you to test both babies because then there's that chance of them being identical. Mm-hmm. And she goes, look, I'll tell you now, and she could tell from the um, scan and whatnot. I think I was like 13, 14 weeks by then. She was like, I believe they're same sex. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll test both the babies. So I was laying on um, a table and they, I didn't look, but they uh, like numbed my stomach a bit and they got this massive needle that goes through your skin or through all the layers and goes through to the placenta. So they did twin A Hudson first and they took a bit um, of the sample from there. Um, and then they took that off and then they came back and they're looking for my placenta for twin B, Oakley, who was a bit higher up and they couldn't actually access that placenta, um, without actually maybe causing damage to my bladder or something along those lines. So I was like, that's a sign. Don't worry. We're not going to touch him he, yeah. or not him. I didn't know he was a him. Not, I actually know I called him him from the start. <laughs> We're not going to touch that baby. That's just a sign for us. So, um, after that we went home and I just didn't move much and, just had minimal spotting, which is quite normal. And I think it's like seven, within 72 hours is when you're at the highest risk. So we just didn't do much after that. <laughs> yeah. Sat there waiting. So, yeah, that was the testing. And, and what was, so what was, how long were you going to have to wait to find out? Yeah. So with that testing, what it does is it tests for all, like it tests all your chromosomes. It doesn't just test those three for the um, Down syndrome, Edwards or Patel. It tests everything. So we got the first results back, which was for the, the first three, and that was clear. So we knew for a fact that that, that twin A didn't have um, those chromosomal abnormalities, but the test for all the rest of them took another two weeks on top of that. Mm. So um, I got the call two weeks later. And they said um, they've tested twin A and um, and there's nothing's come up of a known variant. And I go, okay, that's a good thing, right? So like a known variant to any of the chromosomal activities, they go, well, there's actually um, something that's come up that we're not quite sure of and it's we refer to it as a um, chromosomal abnormality, but the variant is of unknown significance, meaning that it's never been captured to what the variant to the chromosome could mean. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Even more confused now. Yeah. So, and they go, so the next step is to test you and your partner to see if you also carry this chromosomal abnormality. 
And they go, from that, it would tell us if you're carrying it, we'd like to assume that the baby should be fine. But they go, but then again, it's all this all this stuff so confusing. But they're like, but then again, we can't 100% guarantee that because chromosomes can affect, you know, each, each person in like differently. Mm. So apparently it was my chromosome. Two, oh, so apparently it was the baby's chromosome two that had like an extra length to it or something like that. So, and it's never been recorded in any tests or it's never been tested for to know what that could actually mean as an outcome for the baby. So we went and got our blood um, blood tested and I think it was like a week or two weeks later I had a call to give us the results of that. So I'm the carrier of the abnormal chromosome. <laughs> I certainly thought it was going to be Alex. Even he knew I thought it was going to be him, but it was me. <laughs> Which I guess would offer you some relief. So then they organised for a um, phone call with the Royal Brisbane uh, um, Women's Hospital with their genetic health team who were specialised in genetic abnormalities and things like that. So that basically just gave me the information. You've got it. We suspect that that means that because there's nothing that's, you know, clinically wrong with you, that your baby should be okay, but we can't can't guarantee it. And they're like, also, it still doesn't give us information on why your baby has that large nuchal translucency at the back of the neck. Mm. And they're like, you know, would you give us permission to do further testing and try and find out more information? And by this time, babes, I, I was at like 20 weeks in. I hadn't told anyone except for like people that either saw me pregnant or my closest people in my life. And I was like, I've had enough. Mm. I was like, Yes, we open up a can of worms. That's on us. But no, don't test anything further. I will just let our ultrasound scans tell us what what's going on from here. I was like, leave me and these babies alone because yeah. it was just so far gone that I was like at the point I'm like I can feel them kicking, I can feel them moving, and all these people just keep telling me we don't know if your baby's going to be okay. We don't know. We're like could be, might not be. Who knows? And I've got two in there and I'm just like, I've had enough. I can't I can't do this anymore. So we said no to any more testing. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. stressful. Yeah. Pretty stressful so, time. So did you go to your 20-week scan then? Yep, went to the 20-week scan. Everything was still looking great. So with our scans as well, because I was um, put into the high-risk category, not only being twin, um, twin pregnancy but also with the whole um, – large nuke at the back of Huddy's head neck. Um, so we were constantly going in for scans. I think at the start it was like weekly, then it was fortnightly, and by the 20-week scan they started spacing them out to every four weeks. So then we had another scan at 24 weeks, and that's when I also finally announced the pregnancy like social media-wise. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you were like so pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, – then we had like the 28-week scan yeah. and everything was still looking a-okay and we had like a great doctor who just kind of knew his – and he knew his oh, shit. He, he was really great. With those two last scans, so like Huddy Twin A was so far down in my cervix, he crushed my cervix so they could – they were having trouble telling if I had a shortened cervix or just like a fully crushed cervix. Like just like a baby there, like, hello. <laughs> yeah, he was just there. So they had, they kept having to do like transvaginal to get his head measurements because he was so far down they couldn't do it on the scan. And um, also just to like measure my cervix. And it was kind of like an S shape by then. So they're like, 
having all these different doctors come in and go having a look at it and like trying to assess and keep going in and I'm just like all right (laughs) (laughs) I had a good fiddle down there yeah so everything was going good with all that sort of stuff Um, so yeah what did your 20 so your 28 week scan what was it showing wasn't it like starting to get better like they were starting to have more hope Oh yeah, by then like uh, they looked they looked fine. They were yeah. growing really well. Um they were very active like on the scans and stuff. Um everything was going really good. Like the only couple of things we had scan uh, a little scare was um during my pregnancy I experienced like leakage. Um mm. I think Alex and I um got a bit jiggy with it. Had sex that day and I'd had like just something spray out of me like I had leakage so I was like, called my midwife. I was like, um, yeah, this happened. Is that normal? And she's like, oh, look, just sit down with a pad on for like 20 minutes and just see if it stops. And if it stops, you know, just, just monitor it and don't rush the hospital just yet. So it stopped and I went out with the family and um, we went and had like lunch and stuff. And then I started getting like really bad, like I thought it was indigestion and I was getting like contractions. So with the contractions, I'd been having Braxton Hicks since like 16 weeks. Like it wasn't abnormal for me, but I was in so much pain. So Alex like took me to the hospital and I went and got checked out then and the doctor or the, so the obstetrician felt like it wasn't my, I wasn't going into labour. So that was the only real scan we, scare we had between then and the 28 weeks. So yeah, I think. So let's move on to your birth story then. Can you, yeah. you tell us about that? Yeah. Okay. My birth story. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> so after my 28 week scan, we actually went camping, which was hard. I don't recommend going camping while you're like, <laughs> it was nice. And I just wanted to get in because it was meant to be Alex's birthday present back in May. Um, but obviously me finding I was pregnant back then didn't really work out. So we'd been camping and got back and I think it was like a few days later. I also um, had like a bit of like I thought my, I'd lost like a bit of my mucus plug and I like text my midwife about it and she was like, oh, no, that just might be just normal mucus. But deep down inside, I was like, oh, God, it's my, my mucus plug. I remember I it was, because you texted yeah, me. Yeah. I was, I was just like, it must look like a bit like your mucus plug. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, well, whatever. She doesn't think it is. So the morning of... It was on the 29th of the 10th. And how far along were you then? I was 29 weeks plus four days. So, yeah, um, not too long after my 28-week scan. And Alex and I got jiggy with it that morning and I was in pain, which wasn't unusual. Like I'd just get um, bad pains, but I was in like a bit more than usual and I was like laying on the bed with my legs up just like trying to work through it and called mom and I was like, oh, that was meant to be, be meaner for breakfast. I was like, I'm just laying on the bed dealing with this pain. Like it's really bad. I was like, I'll give you a call and see how I go in a couple more minutes. So 20 minutes later I gave a call. I'm like, okay, I think I can get up and go for a walk. So I went to break with mom and then I went to the shops to grab a couple of like hospital bag items and some groceries for my nana. And my plan was, all right, I'll go drop these at Nan's and then I'll go get the rest of my hospital bag items because I was like in my head. I have to get everything done before 30 weeks. I was cutting it close. But I just had in my head 30 weeks. I have to get it all done before then. And then um, I literally got to my nan's house, and this was probably around quarter 12, 11.30, that sort of time. I stepped out of my ute, and I just felt this gush. And I was just like, oh, man, I thought it was that same thing happening with, like, um, 
that fluid I lost the first time. I quickly ran inside, chucked her groceries on the bench, and I was like, Nan, I'm, that something's going on. And I went down the toilet and just kept gushing. And I called my midwife. I was like, something's happening here. And she's like, oh, she goes, how bad is it? I was like, I don't know. I think it stopped. And she's like, all right, we'll just do the same thing with the pad. And I was just like, went to go off the toilet and just start again. I was like, no, nah, can't do that. She's like, all right, give me a call soon. And I just said, 15 minutes and just see how you're going. I couldn't even wait that long. I was like, nah, something's going on here. Like, this is not normal. There's a lot coming out. I couldn't even get off the toilet until now when got some like um, towels for me. And by this time I was on the phone to the ambulance saying, I think I'm in labor. I'm like, could someone please come get me from my nan's house? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in labor. Could someone please come pick me up? Like, yeah. casually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so I was waiting for the ambulance and they were like on the phone asking my nan to go get towels and blankets, like preparing her for the, I could go in, like I could give like birth, birth on her floor. And my nana here like can bear, like has struggled like with her own mobility. And I was just like, I can't be giving birth on my nan's floor. Like I was like, stop telling her to go get all this stuff. I was like, well, let's just wait for the ambulance. I'll just hold them in. And just like before they arrived, that's construction, the contraction started. And I'd already um, told Alex, I was like, something's going on, ambulance are here, I think I'm in labour. So he's like, get ready to leave work. Um, so I got to the hospital pretty quickly. Luckily, um, Nan's, play, Nan's retirement village isn't too far from the hospital. And I'd arrived and they went to just go do like a, like check my cervix and see where I was at. And he went to put like one of those scalpel things or whatever, not scalpel, one of those things that like open you up a yeah. bit. He yeah, went to stick it know. in and immediately pulled it back out and put his finger in. He goes, I can feel a head. And I was like, oh, my God. He goes, you're eight centimeters dilated <laughs> and you're twin A. I can feel his head. And I was just like, oh, I was like, okay, cool. So I get to have my, like, natural birth. And he's like, well, we've, we've felt around for your other twin and he's transverse, so he'd have to be C-section. We won't be able to get him around in time. And I was like, okay. He goes, so what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I don't want to give birth to one baby and then have you cut me open when this is like I'm already early preterm labor right now. I was like, we'll go to C-section. He's like, okay, well, let me go check with the head doctor to make sure we can actually do the C-section for twin A because he's he's coming. Like he was already on his way out. So um, luckily they were, they were able to do that. So they were like, yep, okay, let's get you in for the C-section. By then they give me like the shot of steroids and whatever else trying to slow everything down. Um, so I had the – I was um, – getting wheeled down to prepare for the c-section oh alex had just arrived just before i was done to wheel me out and um we went in and they gave me the epidural and of course i was mid-contraction while they're trying to do that oh, of course yeah of course <laughs> and so that all happened and then hudson twin a was born at 156 p.m and Oakley Twin B was born at 158, and that's when we found out they were both boys because they held them up over the um, curtain. So that was a really lovely moment out of the whole thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, got to meet my baby boys for two split seconds and then they all rushed off to start with all the um, help with their breathing and whatnot. Yeah. And I sent Alex off to go with them while they stitched me up. And, yeah, that, that was the birth. And so, so were, that's like it's crazy to me that you were eight centimeters dilated. Yep. But you weren't really experiencing like contractions. Yeah, like they they were coming, but I was breathing through them, but they weren't like awful. Yeah, yeah. You weren't like, having to properly 
yeah, like I'd have to like everyone stop talking to me for a second and I'd like do this thing with my foot and I'd start spinning my foot around and like trying to breathe. <laughs> and I was like, damn it, I really wish I'd done the birth class because I, I didn't have the birth class booked in for like a week after that because I was meant to finish up work the week after and like I had this like beautiful birthing course all booked in and whatnot, but whatever. So, yeah, I was just like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just spinning my foot around trying to breathe through them. But it wasn't like awful contractions. It wasn't awful. Mm. So, yeah, I guess like that morning those were contractions too, but I just had so many Braxton Hicks and whatnot. I was just like, oh, it's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously like that happened so quickly, like yeah. from the start of it to, you know, it's only like a couple of hours and yeah. the babies were there. How are you feeling mentally? Um, I didn't know because the epidural actually gave me really bad shakes. So I just felt like I was coming off drugs, to be honest with you. And I just was like so out of it. I couldn't stop shaking. My jaw was just like rattling and swinging a bit. And I was just like, what are you giving me? <laughs> so I went into recovery and like everything was good. And they went and put me in my um, room in the maternity ward. And I still hadn't seen Alex or anyone. Um, but I was just kind of out of it. And I was like, I really want to see my babies. But I literally felt like I couldn't. Even if I could, I felt like I couldn't even like look at them properly even when they like quickly held after they pulled them out they quickly held one of them near me I couldn't I can't even remember that because I was just like focusing on working through these shakes they were awful so um I think it was about 9 p.m when I felt okay and the nurse come in and got me to stand up and whatnot um and I managed to stand up um so she's like okay well if you're able to get out of bed and stand up you're most welcome to go see the boys and I was feeling okay by then so that's when we first went to see the boys well at first I went to see the boys Alex had already been in there with them so we went up to the NICU which wasn't too far or they call it the neonatal ward at um Sunshine Coast University Hospital um and that's when I first saw them these poor little tiny little human beings look so fragile and they had like the CPAP gear which is like that snorkel looking thing on their face and mm. yeah they're just like yeah they just look so fragile it was quite heartbreaking really yeah and did, like with they with the nurses then telling you like giving you the information of like how long they sort of thought they were going to be in there did you have any indication of like what what the next steps were um, not that night, but the next day we come back and um, they do. So they're really great. They do like um, doctor's rounds in the um, and whatnot. So they kind of gave us indication when the doctor's rounds would be happening. So me and um, Alex made sure we we're there the next morning for a doctor's round to kind of get some information. Um, and I've just found out by then, like, I don't believe they're on oxygen. I think that the CPAP was just delivering them air just to help mm. with their lungs. I think Hudson um had had so when they were born um I believe with the baby their body naturally releases a, releases like a surfactant thing to start loosening or getting the lungs going um in and I guess that happens when labor's going on and all that adrenaline starts kicking in their body I believe that's how it, that all works and but because the boys hadn't been in you know that sort of adrenaline state for too long and because they will c-section they given Hudson, I think, immediately after he's born, this surfactant to help loosen up and help him breathe, like loosen up on all the fluid in his lungs or whatever it does. And then they hadn't given it to Oakley because he was doing okay. So Oakley got it the next day because he started going downhill a bit, but they were both just on CPAP and they were both just on air, which was good. And I believe at the time they had um, 
they'd been given lines through their body. So the lines were there administered so that um, nurses can um, provide nutrition and medication as required. So they go, there's just these tiny, tiny little lines where they can just shoot that sort of stuff through their body. Mm. Um, so we knew that that was going, we knew they'd given that. Um, as for how long they were going to be in there, it was anyone's guess. It, it depended solely on the boys, but they weren't in like bad shape. They just needed help breathing. Like there was nothing majorly going on otherwise that they could tell us at the time. So um, do you want me to go into like the whole NICU experience? And Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I'll focus on Hudson first. So Hudson um, had the two shots of surfactant. He had it when he was initially born and he had it again after, uh, I think like the next day or a day after or whatnot. Um, and he was on the CPAP for the longest, but that's because he actually had a heart murmur as well. So I believe it's quite common for babies to be born with like sort of an open valve that should be closed and it just closes several days after birth. But Hudson's wasn't closing. And so when the doctors would come in, they could hear like a bit of a whistling in his, when they're doing the heart checks. So he was given um, paracetamol, um, which they were going to administer for five days to close it, but he actually closed in three days, which was awesome because if, the din- if that didn't work, the next thing was ibuprofen, which came with a new set of risks and things like that. So that was really great. And after that, he actually turned around and within like a week or so, he was off the CPAP machine. And then they put him onto a thing called high flow, which um, isn't the big snorkel anymore. It's just um, these two little prongs that kind of sit below the nose and administer air just to help with the breathing. Mm. Um, so he was kicking goals after that. Um, Oakley, who'd only had the one dose of surfactant, we're not saying that the doses made the difference, but um, he came off CPAP really quickly. Like um, I think five days in, he was off all breathing um help and he was breathing on his own yeah but then his little body gave up three days later and he'd start to like have issues breathing again so they put him on high flow which is just which isn't as um uh which is better than going back on the CPAP machine with all like the headgear and stuff yeah yeah it's like not as invasive yeah exactly because that like even with like the CPAP like you have risks of like you know, if it's not sitting properly or um, if it's if it's not the right sizing, they can start indenting their noses and things like that. And their skin's so, like, so fragile that I was really scared because that was actually happening to Huddy. And I was, like, constantly on the nurses being like, is that sitting right? Is that the right size? <laughs> you know, you need to sit it up a bit more. The other nurse said this and then you doing it. Like, I was on the nurses because I was like, don't you dare damage his beautiful little face. <laughs> I could imagine. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're, they're doing everything they could. I was just like freaking out. No, that's um, totally understandable. Oh, you just, it's just like such a whirlwind in there. Like, there's just so much going on with the machines and everything. And it's just, mm. you're just in a constant state of like, oh my God, is what's going to happen next? So, Oakley went off and on um, high flow a few times. And he had a really bad episode where I think myself or Alex was holding him and he kind of like, his um, saturation levels, so his oxygen saturation levels dropped quite a bit and um so he, after that he went back on high flow for um oh a good couple of i think a good two weeks which was the most long as he'd been on any breathing stuff and that was it from him so both the boys um had come off all breathing i think by the 29th or the 11th so they weren't so a month later yeah 
and they'll put in their own little cot together in a different room in like a low, a lower grade um, sort of nurse requirement room. And they were, yeah, just sharing a cot. Um, how was how were you going during this time? Because your initial plan was to breastfeed both of them. How were they getting like food, milk, nutrition, whatever it is? And yep. were you pumping, or what was your what was that situation? Yeah, so um, the very first night, I started um, expressing colostrum, and the nurses would give you like syringes and things. So I started doing that straight away to try and give them that nutrition as quickly as I could. And they'd have like, um, I think they feed it through their nose or through their line. I couldn't remember exactly when they brought the nose, um, the nose feed, the nose thing in, um, but they'll feed it to them somehow. And at the time, they didn't require any milk or anything for um, until they were a certain weight or a certain age in there or just something along those lines. So they'll just feed in them um, this sort of nutrition I don't know, I can't remember what it, what it was, but some sort of nutrition that was giving them everything they needed and that's what those lines in their body was for. Mm. Um, so they were getting that all that way and I was just pumping as much as I, like once I started having my milk come in, I started pumping and um, getting the milk ready. So I think it might have been like within five days or something when they actually started needing that and they start feeding it through their nose tube, into yeah. the, which goes through their nose and into their belly, sorry. So I was pumping milk and they were doing it that way and they were mixing it with um, this nutrition stuff as well that they were putting into the body. I can't remember what it was, unfortunately. Um, and were you still admitted to the hospital? So I, I was in there for five, three or five days. I was a maternity ward patient. Um, then you get, um, once you're out of the maternity ward, you then, be, you then become like a um, outbound patient so I had access to go see the boys whenever I wanted I could go stay in their rooms I had couches in their rooms that it could be used as a bed um, so I could do that but at that early on I knew it was gonna I knew that that would be too much for me because there was nothing I could do the machines were going off beeping all the time the nurses were the people that the boys needed I just mm. needed I just wanted to make sure I was like there during the day just to you know hold their, hold their, like, let them hold my finger or just, like, talk to them or that sort of thing. So that was our main thing that we're doing. Our first hold with one of the boys was with Oakley, which was two days after he was born. So on the 30th I got to finally hold one of them, that was Oakley. And the reason I got to hold him over Hudson was because Hudson had um the line that I mentioned they feed through all the nutrition and medication. He was put through his umbilical cord. I can't remember the reason why. Um, but for some reason he was through his umbilical cord. I think Oakley's was through his arm. Um, I can't remember the reason why they did that. So Oakley, so with Hudson, the nurse on the that was on the same night that I got to hold Oakley, I don't think she felt comfortable getting him out because, you know, there is quite risk if it moves or if you knock it or anything. Mm. Um, so I finally got to hold Hudson like four days after he was born when I had a nurse that was quite comfortable to give him to me. So those were my first holds. And then the first twin hold where I got to hold them both together was 12 days after they were born. And how was that? That was beautiful. And it was only because I was lucky because the nurses were amazing there, but some nurses were a bit more confident than others um, with doing that sort of thing because the boys did have so much gear on. They'd have to wheel each over from each side because they were in kind of different sides of um, this same room. It was a massive room and they were in their own little like um, 
in their own cots. Um, I think they're called a humidifier or cot or something like that, which kind of controlled their temperature and had all their breathing stuff attached to it. So I had a, I had a good nurse who was like, no, nah, let's get them out. The most important thing to do is get your kangaroo holds in because no matter what, no matter how sick your babies are, then you go research is done to prove that this is the most important thing for them to be on their mother. Or, and, yeah, that helps with their um, healing and whatnot. So, yeah, finally got to do that. Um, for me, I was just, yeah, going in daily at, the, at this time. It wasn't until when they actually did start breastfeeding that I started staying overnight so we could start breastfeeding them. Mm. And how were you and Alex, like, mentally doing during this time because it was quite a shock and it was a lot happening and being like yeah still a pretty new relationship how are you yeah. guys going and how are you supporting each other yeah so the Alex took two weeks off work to start um and he just come to the hospital every day and he he would just like um come in and he'd listen to the doctors more than I could because I was just usually crying or just a bit too overwhelmed for it Mm. <laughs> or trying to pump over in the corner somewhere. So mm. he would get all the information from the doctors and then like relay it to me or whatnot. And then the doctors would come back over to me later and ask me if I had any questions and things like that. So um, we would just go into the hospital every day together. Um, we'd usually do like a morning and go in for so long and then come back in the evenings and um, do it that way. And then at home it was just Alex was just at home and we're just trying to, yeah, get through it. We're just... It's just it's just such a weird feeling. It's like you've got these two babies, but you're also quite disconnected from them. You yeah. know that, like, in for Alex, it was like there was there was nothing to connect to yet. He just ha- he just knew that there was sort of like a duty, and I guess that was the same for me. Like I was like, okay, I've just got to pump and get my breast milk coming through, and that's all I can do right now because the nurses have got everything else. Like, there's not much we can do but go in there and hold them, and yeah, just yeah, support each other in the way that you can at that time so yeah it it is interesting because like like you said when us as mothers we have this connection from like pretty much before we find out that we're pregnant like a lot of us know we're pregnant you know and then we have this beautiful connection that builds and we feel the moving and our body's changing and all of this and then and like well, I know I can just speak for me and and Darren, yeah. like his connection, he really had to like learn and grow and stuff like that. Like it, it wasn't there. So it would have been really hard for Alex. Yeah. To, yeah, like, definitely. To have them in the hospital. He was very protective over them though. I can say like if, you know, things got a bit confusing at times and the nurses and everyone's great, but we'd also get like some people that overshare information like, on stuff that we weren't even necessarily the boys weren't ready for yet. So they like they go through all different types of testing because they're premies. So there's this thing called an ROP. It's some sort of thing to do with their eye. And they do this big test and they'll start to go into the information. That was overwhelming us. So Alex would get a bit protective over all that sort of information. Or if like and I don't know if something go on with one of the babies that we just didn't quite agree with, he'd get a bit protective over that. So he had like the protective sort of I guess like these two tiny little fragile humans that were ours yeah that protective sort of stance but I think once he went back to work two weeks later and he wasn't getting as much either because he was at work all the time we were trying to get in on the evenings yeah it was was hard for him because he just seen me suffering but there was nothing he could really do at that time either so I guess he felt a bit helpless in that regard Hmm. 
support. Yeah. Feel so sorry for the both of you having to go through that. Can we talk about the day that you guys got to bring the twins home and what that was like? Yeah. So um, what happens is the goal is to get the babies to a certain weight and to get them feeding, whether you choose to breastfeed or just go straight to formula. So I was trying to keep up once I was getting all my milk, they'll get my milk. I was trying to keep up so they didn't have formula because I just really wanted them to have my, I was like, there's one thing I can do for you. So I just want you to get my breast milk. It was hard. I think there was a couple of times towards the end when they started needing more and more where I just couldn't keep up. And then they started getting like formula like once or twice. Um, so what ended up having to happen was they had to show, I had to show they could latch, either latch or take um, enough um, formula or breast milk and then it was they had to reach a certain like weight gain and then once you've reached that um they do an over they get you to do a couple of nights over like an overnight stay um as a couple in like these nice little apartments still on the same floor so that you still are close to a nurse if you need to because I guess from the experience it's so overwhelming and a lot of parents have trouble switching off from the monitors too because that's what's told you your baby's okay for so long is this like heart rate monitor and respiratory rate and the saturation levels and you just constantly listen to that beeping. So you can't, a lot of people get addicted to it. So towards the end they start to switch it off and remove all that stuff from the baby's body too. Um, so they started doing all that and I'll just go in. I did tandem feed as well while I was in the hospital. I had this brilliant nurse who um, she'd had 27-week-old twin boys as well. So I just clicked with her and she kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. So she had me tandem feeding while I was in the hospital. Mm. So the boys by the um, 15th or the 12th, the big doctor come in and said, okay, we're happy for you to do your overnight stay. So um, we just stayed one night instead of two because we're like, look, you know, there's, we didn't have any questions. We're like, it was just going to be hard. I just knew it, like. This was going to be really, really hard. So we went home and it was overwhelming. Like we were so glad to get them home, but it was it was overwhelming. And trying to breastfeed was um, actually quite difficult with them as well um, just because I felt like I wasn't giving them enough. Hmm. So we had like lots of that to overcome. Um, I'll just also give back story to the breastfeeding with premies. They usually get you to use a nipple shield when you first start doing it in the hospital because it um, – takes away that extra energy they need to form the nipple yeah, um, so that they can breastfeed. But what the nipple shield does when you're out and they're needing more milk is it doesn't get them like latching that full, you know, that full latch that they need. So yeah. the boys got a bit lazy, I guess, especially Hudson. And when I did start trying to give him the nipple, he, he was like, this is a bit too hard for me. I'm not into it. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. And mind you, <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're bottle feeding too. So I was, I was expressing so if one of them still, like, if I didn't feel like they got enough or not, Alex would give them a top-up bottle and we're trying to do all that. So bringing them home was exciting and whatnot, but it was also, like, and we're so glad to try and find our routine, but it was insane and overwhelming and no one could ever prepare you for it because there's no more nurse there. No. <laughs> there's no more machine to tell me, hey, my baby's fine. I can sleep. So that, yeah, it, it was it was hectic. And how how long were they in the NICU for total so it was seven weeks seven weeks yeah and to be honest with you the boys did amazing because most of the nurses and stuff would be like oh we're gonna have a nice Christmas this year we're excited to have you boys I was like nah 
I'm getting my babies out of here before Christmas. They're like, oh, okay, whatever you reckon. I'm just like, <laughs> it's happening. So, yeah, no, we went home um, the day before my birthday, so the 16th of December. And, um, yeah, it, it was great. It was, it was so good to have them home. And even when you leave, so on the day you leave as well, they do all their hearing tests. Um, while we're in the hospital, they had their, they get like a series of eye tests as well. They are absolutely horrible. They use these like clamp things to open the baby's eye and take photos. And it's just, I accidentally heard it happening to Oakley and it just broke my heart. Mm. So they do all these tests to get out and then you have all this like, um, you have all these appointments once you're out too. So I guess that was also really hard. Not only did I have like, you know, the boys and we're trying to settle and stuff, but you're constantly like having to get to different appointments for different things, which are necessary, but also just really hard to get to. So like physio appointments, a couple more eye appointments um, and things like that. So, yeah. Oh, yes. So Alex back to work, twins are at home, you as a mum, twins by yourself at home for the first time those first few weeks. How did you handle it? (laughs) Man, I don't even know. eh? That was just pure survival mode. Like I've got no idea. And by this time, like I was quite anxious. Like I was constantly watching their breathing and things like that because it just been like so drilled into my head about their breathing. So it's constantly watching their breathing. I was trying to figure out how to feed them together. So everything we'd started, we're doing everything together. Their naps would be at the same time. Their feeding would be at the same time because I did try doing the breastfeed one, bottle feed the other one, and it just wasn't working or, you know, trying to do it that way. So I think when Alex first went back to work, I had docker tots and I was like trying to work out how I could sit the docker tot up but make a swing that they could sit in in the docker tot so I could then like bottle feed them. And my beautiful mum and nan went and got me like a twinsy um, pillow because by then I was like, yeah, we're just going to bottle feed. So, um, yeah, I had the twinsy pillow and finally I could just, I could just sit them in that pillow and feed them. So that that got a bit easier. And the rest was just trying to work out the, the sleeping. I think very early on I started, I think, around two months or three months or when I noticed that their napping was becoming a little bit more consistent rather than just like sporadic sleeping, mm. um, I started like a schedule, like we 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 started like a routine. Sorry, not a schedule, more of a routine, and that that included for bedtime routine as well. Like you know, the white noise, going to the dark, quiet room. We'd both Alex and I would go in there and feed them and start like doing all that. And for their naps as well, they'd go down in the at the at the time we we're using one cot and they were at each end. But once they started like nearly headbutting each other, one would go in a bassinet that I borrowed off my sister in law, and the other one be in the cot, and we just switch them and do it that way. So. It was just a lot going on. I just don't think like half the time I come up for air. <laughs> yeah. I was just yeah. And how were you and um Alex going? Like as a couple who just had this like crazy, hectic, unexpected life event happen to them. Yeah, it was it was hectic. Like, you know, two people that had were in the honeymoon stage when this all happened. It's really crazy experience to go from like this beautiful honeymoon stage to like immediate switch. Like from when I was pregnant, things immediately started changing. But then when the boys came home, I think reality set in for Alex especially. I think I was kind of like slightly a bit more prepared because I've been um so before the boys came home from the hospital, I did 
overnight stays for about a week mm. just so I could so I could um, breastfeed them as much as possible and do all that. So I had already like experienced if the nurse wasn't there in the hospital and they were both crying and needing someone, I was like, Alex, this is hard. And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course it's going to be hard. But when he got home, he goes, this is hard. This is like <laughs> beyond anything you could ever imagine. And then just like the stress of me trying to breastfeed and he, like he felt like the crying and stuff was an uh, indicator of wanting to be fed. And I was like, no, he's just fed. I swear he had enough. I don't think that's what he wants. I think we need to try these other things first. And it was just it was just crazy. A lot of headbutting, a lot of not knowing what we're doing, a lot of me Googling and a lot of me getting like um, information from like the health professionals and stuff and then trying to be like, this is what's going on. But Alex like also being like, well, I think he's still hungry. So what we actually end up luckily doing is quite early on, I had um, the private midwife and she did all her um, postnatal visits and she was really helpful and that was all great. She helped me through some of the breastfeeding for as long as I could and whatnot. So they gave us information, but also through the same um, practice, they have this um, other part where you can go on like a health plan with them, with a um, child health nurse and um, a child um health practitioner and the practitioner was actually one of the um head nurses in the neonatal so she already knew the boys and for me I was like we need to go on this health plan like I need these people because <laughs> mm-hmm. basically it was you could text them just like with the midwife because it's a private midwife you could text them whenever you needed you call them whenever you needed um and then you'd bring the babies in they do like regular examinations and um they give them their immunizations as needed and do all that sort of stuff for you. So um, we end up going with them. So they're currently still with them. They'll be with them until um, 12 months correct, corrected, so until 15 months out of since birth Yeah. because um, I was about three months early. So I also had those, those like that help in the background. Um, if I was ever worried, I could text them and I was constantly talking to them. So I, you know, you can have all the help in the world, but you're still just sitting at home going, what's going on? And both mm-hmm. of you just button heads because you just got, you're tired. You know, it's just full on, just nonstop. Yeah. So yeah. much to adjust to. Yeah, 100%. And how old are the boys now? How how old or how old? Yeah, how old? Um, so now, so this is where it gets all confusing too. There's a corrected age and then there's like the gestational age from when they were born, I believe. So their corrected age, which is when they should have been born, they're about seven months, but their age since they were birth, so seven, they're seven months like developmentally, size-wise, all that sort of stuff, they're in that sort of category, but they're about nine and a half months plus um, since they were born. Mm, yeah. Yeah, Gosh, so that all gets confusing quick. too. Yeah. It's gone quick. Oh, man. Uh, my mother-in-law asked me how old they were last night. I was like, oh, I think they're about seven months old. Holy crap, nine and yeah. a half months. Yeah, nine and a half months out. So they're starting to do like, and we've been pretty like lucky from here. Like there's been a couple of things that like have happened with the, so with, with the appointments, the physios um, see them like I think once a month or something and they take videos and there's like a set of five videos they do and there's like, um at the end of the five videos they watch it all um it's basically videos of your baby moving sorry i should start that how your baby moves so from like eight weeks old to i think it was five months they watch these videos and it kind of determines um risk categories for gross motor delays and things because they are premi so both the boys have 
they're doing really great. Like for me, I think they're hitting their milestones for what they should have been born at, so the seven-month stage. Um, and the physios did say, I think Oakley's low risk of most um, mo- uh, gross motors um, skill delays and Huddy's moderate, but the difference between moderate and low risk is like the most minimal thing. And they said, so don't worry about what that actually means. So I think they just need to see Huddy again in 12 months just to see how he's going. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're doing really good with, um, yeah, the, the development is doing really good since we've been home. They've, they've rarely been sick. I think we've had one case of gastro from swimming lessons. Mm, um, their eyesight's gastro. fine, so they got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first swimming lesson got gastro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A few weeks ago. So that was our first real experience with them being sick. Um, and, yeah, no, with their eyes and whatnot, I think that, that got all cleared and there wasn't really anything else they had to really no. check for. Yeah, They look, they look amazing and they yeah. look so happy and healthy. Yeah, they do. The only thing is with Oakley, so I don't know if you want me to go into about head flattening. Yeah, yeah. He's in, he's he's in a helmet. He, he, yeah, he's in a cute little helmet, which um, some people might be looking at thinking that your baby just smashes their head into things so <laughs> you put a helmet on him. But no, so what happens, especially with premies, is um, they when they're in the NICU, they're constantly on their side. So they can develop um, sort of oval shaping to their head from being on the side too much. So what the physio introduces while you're in there and then you just get the nurses to sort of work with you and it is a um they call it a peanut pillow and it's basically a pillow with a flat bottom and then like two big cushions at the side so the baby can't turn their head to the side Mm. and you just start using that like when you're changing them or you know when someone's there to supervise when they're in the NICU and we took the peanut pillows home and I would start using them as well while um we're changing them and that basically was just meant to help with um either side preferences or head flattening on the sides now, with all this, like, stuff with the SIDS and stuff, putting your babies down on your back, Oakley actually really started enjoying sleeping directly straight on his back. And he also kinked his head to one side because he already had, like, sort of a little bit of a side preference in the NICU, and I knew he did, but we were constantly trying to work on him not favouring that side, which meant that he'd turn his head to the side, to, to the left side a lot. So we worked really hard on that, and he was all looking good. And I think just, like, in the overwhelm and just, like, the chaos of having twins – I kind of didn't really recognize that he was starting to get like quite bad flattening, like noticeable. So he ended up to the point where he had flattening um, down the back of his head from sleeping on his back of his head, but also he kinked it to the left a bit. So there's flattening to the side. So it was starting to push his skull and there's no real like um, medical concern, but it can be a cosmetic concern if their eye starts drooping on one side, if it gets really, really bad. Yeah. and it was going to be too hard for me to keep going trying to do the conservative measure, which a conservative measure is like um, constantly going into his room and putting him back onto his, like trying to turn his head to the side or things like that. So we constantly tried like to get him to look to the right and it just wasn't, it just wasn't enough. So um, we end up going down the route of getting him a helmet. So yeah. he's in a helmet for at li- probably about the next four months. Um, and do they like? It. Is it, yeah, he looks so cute. In it, He's so cute, in it, but yeah, <laughs> hates it. Yeah, do they like? Is it working? Is it? Do they yes. tell? Yeah, yeah. So he still. So one side of his skull on the right, because of the pressure from the left, is pushed out a bit more. And a lot of people wouldn't even really notice unless you like get to really look at it, because the front of his face is fine. There's no, there's no like 
you know, droop or anything. But um, I have noticed that like the back of his head where it was flat is starting to get that bit more rounder. So we go in for appointment on Monday to um, check the progress and probably give us more of an update on how it's, how it's tracking. Mm, Amazing. Yeah. I think um, the only other thing with the, with all that was um, also going back, um, not with his head anymore, but my own health problem after the babies. I don't know if people know, but um, pregnancy can, you know, give you gallstones. <laughs> I didn't know this until you. Yes, of course. So I don't know, I guess maybe because it's the twins, maybe, maybe all those hormones. I think it's the um, heightened of estrogen, in, heightened levels of estrogen and my levels were obviously like massive of all the hormones. So um, back to when I was telling you when I was pregnant, I was getting that indigestion. That was actually um, gallstones. So I think about three or four months after the boys come home I had to go back in for surgery to get my gallbladder removed because it was quite chronic and um the when you get pain of having gallstones and one of them gets blocked in the um the ducts in there it's worse like for me it was worse than my contractions in labor like it's horrific it's the worst pain I've ever felt and it was only the nurse and Niku who um I was like oh I used to have these indigestion pains. I was pregnant. I've got to get to nine. I could barely breathe or talk. She's like, have you been checked for gallstones? She goes, because if it's worse than pregnant, like um, contractions, she goes, you could have gallstones. So, yeah, that that happened. Cause you were, <laughs> yeah, because you were, you were quite severe, severely Pain. sick from it. And yeah. how long were you in, um, in hospital for? So I just went in for the one night. I could have stayed an extra night. So I went home after that because me and the boys, like I'd had a routine going. The boys were about, they were about three months corrected, but that would have made them like five months since birth. And we like had a full routine going and everything. So we had to totally put throw that out the window to get help. So Alex had to take time off work. And I guess we didn't really plan for how much time I actually needed to heal. I thought that I'd, I thought it'd be like when I got my um, append- appendix out that it would just, you know, I'd be fine. But you forget about the fact that you're not meant to lift over five kilos. I think the boys mm. were like six and seven kilos by then. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was, it was intense. I think that was probably like the real downfall of everything was then having to heal while you got these two babies that need you and then having all these people who are great coming in the house and trying to help. But then it also set our whole routine for twins just it just chaotic yeah yeah that was um yeah pretty hard I know when it like when I remember when you told me like if when it fucking rains it pours hey like you can't just be like totally fine like there's got to be something else that's going on hey (laughs) yeah literally literally (sighs) so yeah we eventually got past that though and I guess in some ways it might have been good because it Alex ended up moving the boys out of our bedroom um, which was a little bit early for me and I wasn't ready the night before my surgery because um, we knew I'd need like to be able to rest somewhere. And what we were doing at the time was Alex, I was sleeping in the spare room on a mattress to get a few hours sleep and then we were switching shifts in the bedroom and then I'd come back in the bedroom and Alex would go into the spare room and sleep on the mattress so he could get sleep before work. So we're kind of doing that and then that kind of pushed us to get the boys out of the room and go into like a back room away. So and then it also pushed us to, it pushed me to not be the only person putting them down and 
not be the only person rocking to sleep. So they started to learn to, you know, not sleep train, but they were starting to like learn that they didn't need to be rocked to sleep to go to sleep. Yeah. So I guess that helped a little bit in that regard, but having yeah, everyone come through, but yeah, it was it was it was tough. Oh, I could imagine. Yeah. So I've got some questions. Yeah. Um, did that cost you anything? Birthing, Niku, all of that entire process? No. So the only things that cost us <coughs> was obviously your nip test and then I think the twelve week scan because it was through advanced women's imaging or something like that um that cost me something and then the private midwife so i think we're out of pocket i worked out about maybe two grand for like the birthing process oh, but yeah. nothing for the hospital and nothing for like um nothing for the follow-up appointments although the the helmet did did cost us money because that doesn't get covered by medicare or anything that's yeah a whole different um sort of issue i guess oh how much did it cost um that helmet so we got one it's uh by it's a bit more new technology it's not the ones you usually see with like the foam like the large foam insert and stuff it's like got thin like little inserts it was a bit more expensive and it's got a lot more holes in it so it's more breathable and because oakley gets eczema i just wanted something that was a bit more breathable and alex agreed so with that it ended up costing us like uh over two and a half grand. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I you were going to say $200. No. So like just the normal helmets, by the time you get the consultation, so the consultation's like nearly $200. And then um, I think those helmets were like 1700 or something. Yeah. Um, yes. But we just wanted to go with this one because it's actually, it's done by like a computer rather than made. Um, so it's like a 3D printing helmet. Yeah. So it's all done through like, yeah this computer thing so i suppose yeah it's like custom, custom yeah it's a bit, yeah and they, they are custom handmade the other ones um and they're fine i believe they're all fine we just wanted to go off the newer technology and like the the less bulky helm like slightly less bulky because man he he bloody hates that thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> poor little thing i'd probably hate it too yeah so i think um, we're out of pocket for that and i'm just gonna i'm split this question into two parts so yeah. I would say thinking of your like NICU journey. Yeah. Um, and the weeks immediately following birth, if you could give one piece of advice to a mum about to embark on this journey, what would it be? The NICU journey? Yeah. Oh boy. I guess I guess at the end of the day, you're it's it's very overwhelming. I'd give that person advice, find your community, find people that have been through it and lean on them because no one else, even just being a twin mum, the advice goes for the same because no one will quite understand what you're going through. And there's women in, in that hospital going through the same thing. Talk to them. You know, don't don't hide from them. Sit down and just chat to those women because you're all going through the same thing and, you know, it's just it's such a hard process and it's so overwhelming and you literally some days you go in like, bright and happy and the babies will take a couple of steps back and you literally like back to square one being like am I ever going to get out of here these babies ever going to get out of here so I think find like your community of people that have been through it and lean on them Mm. beautiful advice and then would you do you have any advice to pass on to 
a brand new twin mum or twin mum to be? Yeah, well, just the same thing. Like what I, where I really set myself back and is I didn't find a group of other multiple birth mums to start with. And I just was like, no, nah, I'm just going to go solo. And then when you're in, when you're in the depths of postpartum, you don't really want to make those new connections. Like you already, mm. you already just got so much going on. You don't even know how to, you can't even respond to your best friends. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it just gets really hard. So if you don't already have that community before you start embarking on like the birth and whatnot, it can become extremely isolating and it doesn't matter you know, you've got all these beautiful people around you that are trying to give you advice, but if they've only got one baby or don't even have a baby, they literally, it's its just not the same. You just, there's sometimes advice that you need that only a twin mum would understand. Mm-hmm. And I've, I really like right now, I'm at the point now where I'm like, I've got to start reaching out to other twin mums. Like, cause even like at this part of the journey, the boys are getting older and, you know, you're starting to work out how do you spare your time between both of them and give yourself up to both babies at once and it's so hard and you just I was just like I wish as soon as I found out I was pregnant with twins that I'd gone out and found my community because now I'm starting from scratch all this time later and I could like save myself a lot of isolation I think yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely and lastly what is your favorite product or purchase that you think was worth the money and you would yeah. recommend um i've got a couple and yeah, i think get us. <laughs> so i think if, we've already had these from like one of your previous twin mums anyway but just like it just follows up that they they're great so the nappy caddy so a nappy caddy just a large one that can fit all the nappies all the creams everything you can just carry it anywhere in the house we need it to be Mm. use that religiously just goes wherever I go um and then we've got the Dr Brown sterilizer dryer and that thing gets pumped so much like that (laughs) thing is just going off all day and then I guess like I know I'm recommending a few for me for my breastfeeding journey the breast the best friend's twin pillow um was amazing like because it could literally it was a lot firmer than like the twinsy feeding pillow so it could hold both boys really easily and there was no like slack or anything but if you're straight to bottle feeding as a twin mum the twinsy feeding pillow has been great they're still in it now um and you can use it for tummy time and all sorts of things so those would be a couple of recommendations for myself oh and white noise get some white noise (laughs) yeah i i don't like i don't know how we could survive without white noise. No, I don't know either. <laughs> how did our mums do it? I know. I, I don't know how they did half the stuff. Like, oh. yeah. We were probably, like, in a room screaming, let's be honest. Yeah. No, 100% that doesn't We're all too new age for that. Yeah, legit. Can't handle it. <laughs> Well, that's it. We'll wrap up the show there. Thank you so much, Dal, for coming on and sharing your amazing story. I've heard it before, but it was so nice to hear it all put together. So you did so well, and I think a lot of um, twin moms will get a lot out of this. So thank you. Yeah, no, that's no worries. Thanks so much for letting me tell my story. Yeah, it was full on, but it's good to like just share it again and kind of go through and um, realise how far we've come. Thank you so much, Coops, for coming on and sharing your journey.
journey with us. It was amazing to hear. And you are the most beautiful mother to little Hudson and Oakley. And how you've handled the entire journey is absolutely incredible. And the advice that Amy passed on towards the end of the episode about finding your community is incredible advice. I will be posting, as always, Amy's episode to our Instagram. So if you're a twin mum or mum or twin mum-to-be, go over there and give us some love. Connect through the comments, like, share. It is exactly the reason why I created this community so we could all come together as like-minded women. So as always, if you're preparing for birth or your postpartum period, jump over onto the Maiden to Mother Journey website and you can get your special discount code of POD10, P-O-D-10 for all my podcast listeners out there. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time on the show. The information and opinions presented in this podcast are for educational and entertainment purposes only. While I may discuss pregnancy, birth and postpartum topics, I'm not a medical professional and the information provided should not be construed as medical advice. I strongly encourage my listeners to consult with their own healthcare provider before making any changes in your pregnancy and birth journey based on the information you hear on this podcast or elsewhere. Remember, the information provided in this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any health concerns or questions, please seek the guidance of a licensed medical professional. Thanks for listening. Remember, Mama, you're everything that your baby needs and you're doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm.